This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Travel is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hi, I'm Kelsey Recht. I'm the founder and CEO of VenueBook. What I love about travel is that even though an experience in theory is more fleeting, that it's only seven days of travel, I think the impact in the experience of travel stays with you much longer. Ever try to book a corporate event space? It's a nightmare. And it's an even bigger nightmare for the event spaces because only 3 to 5% of your inquiries actually follow through to a conversion. And these spaces are only 30% occupied. So there's a big opportunity here that our guest is capitalizing on. This is Travel Is Your Business, covering the intersection of technology and business in the travel industry. Kelsey, the meeting and events industry has been booming recently and has really become a significant focus for many in the travel industry. What do you think is driving a lot of this growth? First off, you know, if I think about what happened when the market fell out in 2008, you know, meetings and events were were one of the first things to be cut. And obviously the economy is booming now and I know that. And so people are hosting more events. However, I think that there is a reaction from the travel industry because there's all areas of our life are digital, but there's no substitute for meeting in person and kind of breaking bread in person. And so that I think there may be a shift in the types of meetings and events that are hosted, but companies overall are trying to host more of them. And so I think that's really what's driving the travel industry. Though, as I said, the types of events are very different. You don't necessarily have the three-day in-person conferences. You might have shorter off-site meetings. You might have more meetings that are virtual. I mean, you have you have a lot of different ways in the way people think about events now. So also travel the travel industry has to think differently about how they adapt to the changing landscape overall. Hmm. And and VenueBook has a um, VenueBook, your company has uh, a role in this. And you focus mostly on event planners, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some of the pain points that you're solving in, around event planners or, or mm-hmm. the event experience? So the the event planners that we focus on are at VenueBook, we like to call actually the accidental corporate event planners. And what that term means is ah, that... I'm running an event. Ah, no. <laughs> Sometimes. But what happens is that Interestingly, if you look at the landscape of the people planning events for companies, they are often not your classically trained global events manager that maybe existed in the past. It's typically, it can be a community manager at a startup, it can be the head of HR, it can be uh, an assistant. And what that means is that they know something about the events, they know what they need, they have a budget, but they're not, it's not their full time job to do events. And so it's very much, okay, I've got a really long to-do list. I've been told I have $10,000 for this off-site meeting. Okay, I just, I don't want to screw it up. How do I get this done quickly? And so the the landscape of sort of the, the type of planner has really changed. And that's what VenueBook really speaks to in that there are a couple things about these meeting and event planners. They need speed and efficiency. So the fact that in the traditional world that they have to wait for a quote, I mean, that that baffles them. Mm-hmm. And VenueBook is one of the only platforms out there that does instant availability and full pricing of the event. Everything from the space 
all the way to your food and beverage AV needs. Uh, the second thing that I would say about these accidental event planners, if you think about the suppliers, the hotels, the general event spaces, the restaurants, it's it's a little bit harder to market and attract these people because you can't say go on LinkedIn and figure out that this person is the event planner at XYZ company. Mm. Whereas in the past, you might be able to build a relationship with a global events manager who was doing all of the meetings. And so- uh, Venues really have to think differently about how they market and attract these type of event planners in a changing world. Interesting. And how are you – I mean you just described it. It's it's not necessarily the easiest to find who this new accidental event planner is. Mm-hmm. So what are some ways that you look at user acquisition um, – how do you find somebody in this situation? Mm-hmm. It's a great question. That typically one of the number one things that this group starts out with is a Google search. So we right. rely on initial acquisition with paid marketing spend. Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, social media, for example, Instagram. Mm-hmm. A lot of planners are looking for inspiration. Instagram is a great platform for that. And that is the initial acquisition. But then our goal is that we really focus on building a relationship with them uh, over time. So our account managers, we call them technically event specialists. So they are there for corporate event planners if they have a question, a nuance, they're doing an event in a city they don't know. And so we actually focus on that paid top of the funnel acquisition initially. But then we find we have really strong repeat behavior by sort of giving them just a little bit of human touch behind the scenes. I'm really interested in the inventory side of it, right? Mm -hmm. Because traditionally there's the whole RFP process and then the wait time, as you were saying. Have you been able to circumvent that? That is a great question. It's actually one of the number one things that has kind of held this industry back in terms of going into a marketplace. I think of the events industry as much more similar to, say, when Expedia couldn't put up a real-time price, which seems unfathomable to us now, but definitely existed because we have a a mentor who was there when that happened. A couple of things. So first off, uh, we have become very skilled at helping venues think about skewing their inventory and their pricing in terms of what packages are most demanded out of event planners. You know, what are the best ways to price while also allowing for some negotiation back and forth? And, uh, you know, I'd still say there's a long way to go in terms of the industry. Eventually, this industry will embrace the exact, the meetings and events area of travel will embrace the same yield management that happens in your traditional sleeping rooms. But it's probably 10 years off of that in that now we use our data and analytics around what we know event planners want to skew pricing and inventory out of the venue so that we can meet 80% of the needs of the event planners while allowing that other 20% to be negotiated or customized by the venue. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. How do you how do you take on supplier relationships? Because, um, you know, there's there's obviously a lot of incentive to book direct. I think this is the Expedia example is a great example, right? Mm-hmm. You're essentially acting as an OTA of of venues in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you create that relationship and that repeat business, both on the on the demand side, but also on the supply side, so that they don't book around you? It's a good question. First. 
Event planners do not want to book the same venue again and again. Sometimes they do out of necessity. So they really prefer to discover and book new places on a repeat basis. I'm sure everybody can think about the time where they said, oh, we're not going there again for our event. So the... Oh, the Bellagio again. (laughs) (laughs) But what happens is that with to kind of avoid that people going around us is that our incentive is to help them make it so easy for them to discover new places, which is what they prefer, that they want to come back to venue book Mm -hmm. uh, overall. The second thing is, is also they just prefer a better experience. I mean, you're seeing this with hotels in that, you know, all of the hotels want people to book direct mm-hmm. right now. But it's still actually easier as a consumer to use Expedia because you want yeah. to compare all locations. And so that is really where we double down in keeping the event planner loyal to us is making sure we have a, a top-notch booking experience overall. On the venue and supplier side, one of the big differentiators of venue book is that we have a very sophisticated system behind the scenes that's much more sophisticated than other emerging players and that the way that we keep them coming back to us and staying loyal to booking through our platform is by giving them better data, better analytics, a faster turnaround time and that our system behind the scenes is actually built very differently than some of the other systems and that – My belief is that, yes, they can go around us, but if they're making more money by using the tools of VenueBook, they're going to stay loyal to our booking tools overall. Mm. Makes sense. So how do you – do you have any kind of data on the customers and on these bookers so you know how to target a specific venue that you think they would like and surface that to them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that's really interesting about this industry is that the average conversion rate of an inquiry to a booking across the industry right now is about three to five percent. Wow. That's astounding. (laughs) So sales managers at hotels or at restaurants spend a lot of their time chasing inquiries that are never going to book. Venue books conversion rate is 20 percent and can be as high as 44 percent if venues follow our best practices. And To your question about analytics, the two biggest reasons event planners and venues don't connect is that availability is an issue and pricing is an issue. And the reason VenueBook has fully transparent pricing is that without fully transparent pricing, we cannot match event planners and our venue suppliers tightly enough. And I'll give you an example of that, is that Let's say you're sitting in Midtown, you're planning a senior executive dinner. This, These senior executives only demand premium open bar. You're only going to give them the best. If you can only afford a cocktail reception at that venue and you can't afford a high-class dinner with premium open bar and all of the works, you're not a very good fit for that venue. So an estimate is not tight enough in this industry. And so the number one thing that we know is that if we give the event planners 
enough information to qualify themselves relative to the venue, all of those nuanced customizations can happen after the fact. You have to get them 80 to 90% of the way there, and then they do the rest of the 10% on their own. The other thing that we have a lot of data on is that event planners are booking in much tighter windows. So our average inquiry to actual booked event date is 45 days. So typically people are in market 45 days before an event and they're going to book within about 10 days of that. So they book usually about 30 days prior to the event. And a lot of venues right now, especially the large hotels, are not well set up to deal with that short booking window. So need new technology to be able to service those types of customers. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like wild to I'll think give of that you conversion actually a, rate, yeah. you know? I'll give yeah. you a really interesting data point about one of the biggest hotels in Midtown, and I won't, I won't reveal which hotel this is, but they have tons of meeting and event space, and you would think this hotel only does multi-day conferences. However, they only do about 20 to 30 multi-day, you know, sleeping room night conferences. But they do 900 small, quick turnaround meetings and events over a year. Wow. And that has been a big dramatic shift over the last few years to go back to this trend that meetings are are really growing space. But the types of meetings that are being held have shifted pretty dramatically, which is why new technology is needed. Hmm. I'd be interested, you know... You more recently were getting into hotels, mm -hmm. I think maybe a, a couple of years ago or something. So what are some of the main differences you've seen since working with hotels as a, as a part of your supplier relationships? Because, mm -hmm. you know, what you just described is, is probably very different even in, in quantity and, and operations than the F&B space. Mm -hmm. So we moved into hotels in 2018, and the timing is really great because there have been some big shifts in the hotel industry. And I don't know if you've been following it, but a lot of the big brands have dropped their commissions to third-party event planners mm. from the traditional 10% down to about 7% on average. And with the promise that they will introduce better technology tools. So VenueBook is actually capitalizing on a great trend that's happening in hotels right now. We've really enjoyed our movement into hotels because what we evangelize is a different way of booking based on lots of data to prove that it works better and drives more revenue to a venue. And the reason we like hotels is that hotels have already embraced technology and tend to be fairly sophisticated operators with revenue managers, you know, sophisticated GMs, and they've seen this shift happen with the OTAs. And so we walk into a hotel and it's very much, where have you been all my life? This is going to happen. <laughs> Whereas sometimes when we work with more long tail operators, we get a nobody's ever going to book online. And you know what? You could have said that about Expedia back in the day. You could have said that about OpenTable. You could have said that about Airbnb. Nobody's going to want to sleep on your couch. And, and so the one thing that we do like about working with hotels is we're capitalizing on a trend that's already happening. 
And also, they've sort of seen this playbook before, and it's just now happening in the meetings and events vertical. Coming up, you'll hear from Kelsey on the future of Venue Book and how these trends are really starting to evolve. Hey, everybody, this is Vikram Iyer with the American Enough podcast. And just wanted to thank all of you for listening and tuning in week after week. Uh, we are just on the precipice of clearing our one-year anniversary, and this has been an incredible journey and examination of who America really is against the, the headwinds of our modern times. If you are interested in the perspectives of mayors and how the identity of their cities is changing America's fabric, or how our foreign policy is changing the way that CIA agents do their business, or even how those brave enough to come forward and, and stake a claim in the Time's Up or the Me Too movement, how their identities have, have been changed by speaking out so publicly, uh, or even if you're just interested in how Netflix documentarians are viewing the world and using satire and entertainment to cope with our current times, there is something for everybody across this channel, and uh, we hope that you continue to subscribe and like wherever you pod. American Enough can be found on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. Um, and if you have any feedback or have any ideas for more great show, never hesitate to, to email Vikram at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com or tweet at Vikram Iyer on Twitter. And uh, please keep spreading the word. This is not over anytime soon. Keep up with the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Our episodes are available on iTunes and Google Play and online at travelisyourbusiness.com. Plus, there are a lot more great shows on Mouth Media Network. Take a trip to mouthmedianetwork.com to enjoy them all. And remember, we love fan mail. Drop us a note to say hi, suggest a guest, or if you'd like to become a sponsor on the show, email us at travelbizshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. Kelsey, I'd be curious about what some other opportunities are for, for Venue Book. Um, you know, where do you see this going? Where are some of the biggest opportunities? Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about your aspirations. Yes. I started Venue Book for a very simple premise to make it easier and faster to book event spaces. So that is first and foremost our number one goal. And when I say easier and faster, I mean for both event planners and venues because venues are just as frustrated with unqualified leads as event planners. Um, but in the end, if you think about venues, venues are the top of the funnel. And the reason we started with venues is because you always book a venue first and then you book everything else. So our first ambition is to be the one-stop solution for a place to book an event space. And then over time, you can migrate to lots of different other providers within events. But as I said, our first goal is venues because we know – Venues are top of the funnel, and then you become the feeder for all different types of vendors. Hmm. And how about those people who are on a business trip but might want to stay for the weekend after or tour around the city um, on breaks from, from the event, what we like to call the bleacher customer? Do you see an opportunity there? 
I would say in terms of the the leisure customer, there if we're, you're making it easier for people to find and book really unique meeting and events offsite, they're going to be more likely to stay. And that, you know, sometimes people don't want to stay because you're not in a great location. But if you can find a really unique hotel, unique location, something that maybe is a little bit off the beaten path that you wouldn't have traditionally booked, uh, there's a big opportunity to be able to get business travelers to stay because it's a spot they might not have otherwise gone to and they're they're already there. So there's a, a really big opportunity to offer kind of unique experiences to those business travelers by finding those unique venues or unique areas that they might not have otherwise considered for travel. Interesting. Where is that in like the product roadmap? You know, because – are you getting a lot of requests for for these types of ancillaries? Um, right now, we don't get a lot of requests for the ancillaries, but that's specifically <laughs> well, specifically because we we specialize right now in quick turnaround event bookings within forty five days. However, as we've expanded into hotels, we have been getting more requests for room nights. And so that over time, we believe, you know, you start with the small, quick turnaround events. And over time, as you build a trusted brand, you get bigger and bigger. I mean, we had an event come in that was a $90,000 request, you know, a couple days ago. So we have seen that over time, our ticket size and the types of events we get have grown. And so as we move into bigger and bigger meetings and events or more off-site, we should get more of those. Additionally, we're in the process of expanding nationally because right now um, some of this leisure travel might be limited based on areas that we are in. Uh, But where we'll be, we should be expanding more over the next year, and that's somewhat dependent on the hotel property management companies that we'll be working with. A lot of them have approached us to actually open new cities for them based on where they might be strong. Are these hotel partners making their room inventory available to you so that that you that the clients can book directly there as well? So group room inventory blocks are also very difficult. Right. What what we find is. We specialize first in the meeting and event space, and then the room blocks are a little bit of an ancillary add-on at mm-hmm. this point. Uh, however, though, to the hotels, they're a great win right now because we actually don't – for our early adopters, we don't charge a commission or booking fee for sleeping room nights. Oh, interesting. So if hotels are signing up as one of our kind of early partners, they are not actually paying commissions on those bookings. Interesting. And so when you do get that request for the $90,000 booking, is mm-hmm. that really your goal or are these larger bookings because your revenue model is built based on the size of the booking or do you skew in a, in a different way to monetize? So we make money via a two-tiered approach. So uh, annual, a mix of annual fees and booking fees. Okay. And part of the reason we do that is that to your question around size of the event, we find that larger venues tend to prefer a mix of annual and lower booking fees, whereas smaller, more untraditional venues tend to prefer a higher booking fee. So we have actually set up our revenue model to align the incentives based on different types of venues. And part of the reason is is that a lot of our research with event planners is that you can't have just one type of venue. They want 
diversity of venues in a tight geographic region. So you, they might want restaurants and hotels and some bars and cocktail locations. They don't want just one type. Basically, what they want to be able to do is if they're sitting in their midtown high rise here in New York City, they want to be able to find a place to take the interns, like the Irish pub. They need a spot for the board dinner, and they need a hotel for an off-site meeting. And so they have diverse venue needs. And so we've set up our revenue model to be able to meet different types of revenue, different types of venues, with a focus on building geographic density to meet our event planners' needs. Makes sense. And do you find like the customer behavior there talking again about size that they expect a discount if they're coming back time and time again to you um, or if they're they're booking, you know, at these larger scale events often? First off, we do see that there's negotiation that happens. I won't, I won't reveal our secret sauce about how we allow some of that negotiation while also being kind of instant pricing and availability. But what we find is that event planners don't necessarily demand a discount. What they demand is is a really easy booking process and the ability to have some negotiation around the customizations that happen with an event. And that, as I said, we operate under the 80-20 rule. We want to make sure they're a very tight fit for the venue. But then all of those, hey, I need five microphones versus four microphones, or I need a gluten-free menu versus uh, a, a, you know, a, a kosher menu, all of that, we allow for some of those nuances and negotiations and customizations to happen okay. after the fact. Interesting. Are you um, – are there other integrations that make sense? For instance, maybe a, a registration platform for large conferences like a Reg Online or something like that or mm-hmm. – or on the other end, maybe TMCs, um, you know, on the corporate mm-hmm. travel side. There are definitely some obvious partnership opportunities uh, in that we are actually frequently approached as partners because, as I said, we're at the top of the funnel. Right, right. Uh, our focus right now is on building venue density for to provide more offerings from our event planners. I mean, we often hear from event corporate event planners who love us say, hey, when are you going to open Miami? I'd love to see you in LA. And so that is more important in sort of our company roadmap right now. But over time, those would be great partnerships. Interesting. So on that thread, what, what areas are you currently serving? And are there particular goals you'll be able to share with us in terms of your mm-hmm. uh, expansion? So right now we are in New York City, Chicago, San Francisco, and D.C. and have a goal of being in around 8 to 10 cities over the next 12 months overall. So in these new cities, how do you see kind of spinning up more inventory and maybe even getting um, your providers to think about inventory in a new way, right? A place – a space that they might have in their building that could actually be an event space um, that's just being underutilized. Storage closets. Yeah. Yeah. Janitor Something rooms. really fabulous. This <laughs> event space is wonderful. It's a great deal, but you don't have any windows. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that we really specialize in at VenueBook is that we first off have a team that is a mix of both business, event planners, and ex-people from the venue world. Mm -hmm. And 
to your question around unique spaces, one of the things we really try to do with venues is generally help them merchandise their spaces better in ways that they may have never thought about it. So that sometimes we have spaces that come to us that might have underutilized space and you can use that for an event space and they've never thought about that. But we also say, for example, work with hotels that have space within their hotel that could be sold for meetings and events that they've never actually thought about selling. Do you have any examples of that? A great example of that is that, interestingly, if you think about a lot of the hotel inventory in New York City, sometimes a hotel might have a really beautiful bar and it's within the hotel and it's enclosed and – but it doesn't have a storefront on the street. And so you walk in and you think, this is an amazing space. So Obviously, I've looked at a lot of event spaces. When I see a space, I immediately think this will sell really well. And so sometimes you walk into locations and think this is a really beautiful space that they could be renting out, but they've never thought about it. And that can – you can see that in co-working spaces. You can see that in art galleries. You can see that in hotels. Uh, You can see that in restaurants overall. I mean sometimes I walk into a restaurant and think why didn't they put a dividing wall here so that they could have a private room or seat diners here and that it's just a different way of thinking about how you utilize your space. And so what we also really try to do is help venues think about how they merchandise their offerings based on what people want overall. And like a great example of this is if you have a venue and you have a curtain and you could have put a wall in to make it fully private, that is say a dividing door, you should always put a dividing door because you offer more flexibility to people. Some people might want that space semi-private, but if you can close the doors, you can also accommodate those people who want it private. And so it's really thinking about how you can really flexibly sell your space overall in a slightly different way. You know, Open Table, for example, did a lot of this with restaurants. So uh, interestingly, when Open Table uh, moved into London, from my understanding is in London, there was only one turn of tables. Like everybody wanted to eat at, say, 7 p.m. And Open Table trained restaurants to do a 6.30 reservation and 8 p.m. reservation so they could get two turns out of their space. And it's super important because these spaces, based on our data, are at best booked 30% of the time overall. So there's they really can be utilizing these spaces a lot more if they merchandise them and make them easier to book online. Well, that seems like uh, we have plenty of reason to follow up with Kelsey if we're running spaces. <laughs> um, but on that, when we get back, you'll hear uh, Kelsey on a more personal note. Welcome to the All Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. I had a successful career, an Ivy League education, and led a very rational life. Several years ago, I had a spiritual awakening, developed psychic gifts, and decided to dedicate my life to pursue my purpose and empower others. I'm hungry to learn even more about the incredible potential of the human mind and spirit. On this podcast, I talk to entrepreneurs, executives, scientists, and leaders to hear their stories of transformation, the science behind them, and what it means for you to unlock your potential in your life and career. 
Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. Kelsey, you mentioned that you have um, a couple of kids. Mm-hmm. How, how old are they? I have one that's three and a half and one that's two. Awesome. Well, so youngins. Are there, um, is there a place that you really want to make sure that they travel to while they're children and why? Good question. Causing me to sit here and think for a second. I think less important the the place exact place where they travel. One of the things is, is uh, prior to having children, I always like to go to a brand new place all of the time. And thinking back, my husband and I have talked about that when we were younger, to go to the same place again and have really great memories of that place and that that is, was your family place was something that really stuck in our memories from our childhood. And so one of the things that we've thought about with travel is how do you create that special tradition around travel, which may actually be more of a similar place every year, but becomes really a tradition for us, which has been a slight shift in the way we think about traveling. But, you know, a great example of this is we took our kids to the Turks and Caicos last year over Thanksgiving, which, by the way, traveling to the Caribbean over Thanksgiving is wonderful, especially if you don't cook like me. Um, All the pressure (laughs) is off. But one of the things that's really interesting about that vacation, it was like one of our first really big um, beach vacations with the boys. And they ask us constantly to go back to the Turks and Caicos. And and part of this change and shifting in travel has been – Wow. So they want to go to that same special place again and again. And so I also think with a family, maybe our travel habits have changed somewhat. But, you know, that doesn't mean travel won't be any more richer. It's just a slightly different experience overall. That's a great answer. I'm not taking to Japan. Let's put it that way. I'm not brave enough. Shout out to the parents who are willing to take their kids on 12-hour flights. (laughs) As a founder and a, as a founder, what have you, what is your biggest challenge been? Has it been, you know, getting the company off the ground to begin with, fundraising? It sounds like you've had a pretty straightforward time finding a lot of mm-hmm. customers. Um, but what what do you see there as your biggest challenge? My motto when it comes to startups is that if it were easy, somebody would have done it before. And I'm a first time founder and a solo founder. One of the things is, is as I think about the biggest challenges of founder is that you have industry expertise, you can find great mentors, but sometimes if you're building something that's very different, there there is no playbook. And so one of the most complicating things as a founder is to realize that every six months, every year, your job changes completely yeah. and you have to just embrace a totally new way of doing things. And I think that's just generally one of the hardest things as a founder And that every once in a while, I just want to call somebody and say, well, what is the answer? But then part of me is thinking, I don't know if there's an answer. We just have to test it a lot. And, you know, a great example of this is that, you know, 
in the events vertical, it's been a very open pain point and a large market for a while. And there have been people who've tackled it and just failed miserably. And what VenueBook has tried to do is realize that you can't go out and copy the experiences of other marketplaces in this vertical and because we just don't believe it will work. And people have failed by trying to say, I'm just going to apply Airbnb or I'm just going to apply Expedia to this type model. And so to this idea of that, we don't know the answer. We do a lot of testing. We're very data-driven. And sometimes we put stuff up and we see how do the customers react to this. And I can think of lots of times where our research said one thing, we put up the product, and it just completely didn't align with what people were telling us. And it goes – it's that old analogy of sort of, you know, you people would have asked for a faster horse. You know, yeah. nobody would have asked for the iPhone. And so I think of that as being one of the biggest challenges as a founder, you know, over the time of VenueBook, I've gotten better at dealing with that. But it's it's always a challenge because, you know, my role in six months is going to be totally different than it is now, for example. That's great. Kelsey, is there a final thought that you'd like to share? Something, maybe a reflection on this interview today or your experiences with VenueBook or something overall? Good question. I'm thinking about it. In the end, if I think about VenueBook, our goal is to make it faster and easier to book events. And if I think about sort of the legacy that VenueBook wants to leave is that your goal always is to kind of become a verb. I mean, that's a lofty goal. Everybody, you know, you Googled it, you Airbnb'd it, you Ubered it. And, you know, at VenueBook, we think about how do we dramatically change this industry for the better for both sides because there is so much inefficiency, there is so much pain. And yes, people may have tried this space before and failed, but my belief is really big markets are a matter of when, not if. And that is the way that VenueBook thinks about the world. And so 10 years from now, like the legacy that we want to leave at VenueBook is that we made it so much easier for people to gather and meet and host beautiful events in this whole offline to online world, online to offline world. Awesome. And uh, how could somebody get in touch with the work you're doing at VenueBook? First off, check us out at VenueBook.com, obviously. The second thing is feel free to email us, info at VenueBook.com. We're happy to chat anytime. We also have live chat on our site if you ever want to ping us. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again for being on the show, Kelsey. Um, for my co-host, Beth Chapman. Happy trails. And I'm your co-host, John Matson. Bon voyage. This has been Travel Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show, or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at travelisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, travelisyourbusiness.com. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.